Welcome to episode 3 of Escher Library, a podcast about the art of stock by Moshe Feinstein and Uduk Moshe. We're specifically uh, learning a series of Shavuot of Moshe that address the question of when one has enough information to make a decision, and when one has to make a decision even though one doesn't have all the information. In episode 1, we discussed a uh, case of Igun, where Rav Moshe says that if the death of the husband has been established sufficiently to allow you to paskin, uh, by the woman's by the woman's assertion, the husband has died on the basis of a letter from from abroad. In this particular case, then one has to make the decision rather than launching a further investigation and attempt to confirm what she said, because you have enough information to make a decision, and therefore any delay is considered uh, to create an, a situation of egoin, and we do not allow um, the deliberate creation um, creation of egoin situations, even temporarily. Uh, in episode two, however, Rav Moshe discussed the question of uh, checking uh, shechted birds to see if they're trefot. And when it comes to animals, you have to you have to check the organs individually to see if they're trefot. The lungs, obviously, in an extreme way. Um, but Rav Moshe that, does, that doesn't apply to birds. Rav Moshe says because either because checking birds is harder, um, even 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 specific things about checking birds are too hard, or maybe because the overall element of checking birds is too hard, and once it's too hard to get all the evidence, then we don't require you to um, to investigate further than the halachically minimal. However, Moshe, the actual Shiloh of Moshe is responding to a question by a rabbi who wanted to say, well, if that's the case, maybe we can avoid getting any evidence at all. We can hire somebody to open the birds after Shkita who won't even take a superficial look, and that way we'll be able to find even fewer trefos. Rav Moshe says, no, that you can't do. That you don't have to have that you don't have an obligation to bother yourself to get all the evidence doesn't mean that you can deliberately avoid obtaining evidence, even if the result of that is that you still have enough information to make a decision. You can't set out deliberately to have the minimum information you need to make your decision um, because, that, right, because that will uh, lead to commercial gain. In this week's um, episode, we're going to discuss two trivots of Rav Moshe, actually. They're uh, very brief, in which Rav Moshe... Um, as opposed to the, right, the first two, Rav Moshe either banned and right, said you can't have an investigation or um, didn't require an investigation, although he didn't allow looking away. Here, Rav Moshe is going to require an investigation, the first one in a, in a way that I think is a little bit peculiar, and the second one in a way which sets up really important um, important rules. Uh, the first case Rav Moshe is talking about is uh, whether um, women who have had some kind of internal um, inspection, medical inspection, uh, can, for the purposes of Nida, assume that that inspection yielded a wound that would bleed and therefore attribute any bleeding uh, to that to that inspection, whether in the first three days uh, of, of Shiva Nikim, where, where the standards are uh, are higher and generally require evidence that there has been a uh, that there has that there has been a wound um, which is bleeding, or um, in any time thereafter. Here is a Rav Moshe says, when there's a medical inspection that did not actually reach the uterus, and therefore you don't have to worry that it created the situation in Nida. Right, so she's already Tahora. So you can assume that the um, that any blood is the result of a wound caused by that inspection. But then he says something really interesting. But you still have to ask the doctor whether there was a wound because 
you need to get all the evidence that you can. Whatever is possible to, whatever is possible to investigate, you have to investigate. Now, this is um, not true in the first three days. In the first three days, you can only um, you can only re- can only rely on it if the doctor says there was a wound. But if he says there was right, if he says there was a wound, then you can rely on on him even in the first three days, whether or not he's sprung. But that's not the issue that matters to me now. What matters to me is the claim that you have to ask the doctor whether there's a wound. Now, what happens if the doctor says there's no wound? I think the Pashtus in Ramoshal Halacha is that even the doctor says, no, I didn't do anything that would cause a wound, you can still uh, right, you can still rely on the right on the possibility that there uh, that there was a wound. Um, so right, if that's true, now Ramosha doesn't say that um, explicitly. Right? He says, right, again, I read you the everything that seems relevant about uh, about that section. He says you can um you can create a clear right you can you can presume um that the blood comes from the wound but you still have to ask the doctor um so i guess what Ramosh is saying uh is that the um is that if the doctor says no then absolutely we would trust him if the doctor says, I don't know, I guess we would uh, assume there's a wound. And the doctor says, yes, and of course it's okay. It's possible that Rav Moshe is saying that even the doctor says there isn't a wound, um, that because the doctor has a professional interest in saying there is no wound, so then, in fact, we discount that. And we say, well, there's bleeding, there shouldn't be bleeding, so we assume there's, uh, we assume there's a wound. That would be the most radical way of reading Rav Moshe. Uh, in that case, what he would be saying is that the obligation to investigate and get all the evidence you can applies even if that evidence will not change your mind. Because the doctor is saying that right, you are already willing to conclude there's a wound, and if the doctor says there is a wound, great. And if the doctor says there's no wound, you're going to think there was one anyway. Uh, that would be the most radical reading of the Shiva Moshe. He doesn't say it explicitly, so it could be he's just saying that if you can't reach the doctor, then you can assume there's a wound. But if you reach the doctor and the doctor says, no, um, you know, I was careful, and the doctor said they didn't do anything that could cause a wound. That obviously could be different. But we're dealing with a case of an operation that certainly could um, cause a wound. Otherwise, the question wouldn't be, there would be no clear. So maybe we trust the doctor if they say if they say not. Now, the question we have to ask is you know, so asking. So we have to assume here that asking the doctor is not a tircha, because if it was a tircha, then the question should be the same as the as the fish, as the chicken question. Um, so we could talk about what happens if it's embar- you know, if you feel embarrassing to ask the doctor. Uh, what happens if you don't, if you particularly don't trust the doctor? I think the best reading of the, the best reading of the tshuva is that Rav Moshe thinks you have to ask because you have a fundamental imperative to make decisions based on all the evidence, uh, and that this applies even if the evidence is not going to change the outcome. But I'd say that would be an odd outcome. Okay, that was um, that was. Uh, um, Aleph Simon Sadi Hey. So the Chuba asks, uh, I think somewhere between 57, 17, and 57, 19, because it's the Rav Yisrael Cohen Rifter, and his uh, the other Chuba Ramosha writes to him are between 57, 17, and 57, 19. The second Chuba we're going to discuss is Igret Moshe Yerodeh Chelik Aleph Simon Ayin Bet. This is definitely written in the 57, 18 to um, Rabbi Ben Sien of London. Um, this is a very famous tshuva, but not the part that we're talking about. The first part of the tshuva deals with the question of whether one can rent 
um, catering, kosher catering, catering halls to Jews who will uh, unquestionably do forbidden things such as mixed dancing uh, at the at the hall. And the Moshe deals with the question very, uh, very deals with very important um, tshuva dealing with the question of to what extent you have responsibility for other people's religious decisions. The second half of the tshuva, which is the case we're interested in, it deals with shotness checking. Um, and the question is, can you as a merchant sell clothing that has not been checked for shotness to Jews, right, to Jewish purchasers who will not check it themselves? Right, so here's the way so here's the way the Can you sell garments that might contain shotness to Jews who will wear them regardless? So Moshe says there's a distinction. If it's a suffix mamish, okay, a suffix mamish, so there's some kind of minimal threshold of doubt that right of, of the possibility that there's shotness here, right? The term we're gonna deal with is mid hamatsui, There's debates right as to what the percentage is, five percent, fifteen percent, maybe it differs in different areas. We're gonna just treat this as a as a term, mid There's a threshold at which point we say that it's common, even though it's not 50% or close to 50%. So in so those cir- circumstances, Rav Moshe says, you can't sell that kind of garment to uh, right to consumers who don't care about shotness. Why not? Um, you can't even just say, you've got to check it yourself and leave it to their responsibility. Because you, right, just because you tell them, doesn't make it doesn't doesn't relieve you of the responsibility for their decision. Okay, that's in tension with some of the things we said earlier, and we have an ongoing question of what your responsibility is to people who are doing things deliberately. But we're going to stay in this half of the tshuva. So what's the explanation of this? He says the Even though your custom right, your customers could buy their possibly shotness suits somewhere else, you're not selling a unique product. And Rav Moshe understands the Sugin of Adazara the way um, most Achronim do, uh, as saying that the biblical prohibition of Lisnever Lisitain Mikshol, don't place a stumbling block in front of the blind, only applies in circumstances analogous to what we call Tre'ivri de Nahara, which he understands, again, the way most Achronim do, whether, it's, whether that's necessarily Pshat Gemara is not our issue, um, that you only violate the biblical prohibition if the sinner could not transgress without your assistance. So you you have to hand them you have to hand the Nazir a cup of wine across the river when the Nazir would have no other access to wine. So here too Rabbi Moshe says, but so there's obviously not a biblical violation here because there are many other uh, the, there are many other clothing merchants. So what's the problem? The problem is he says that there's still a biblical violation of a rabbinic violation, sorry, of Avera, of assisting transgressors. Now he says you'll tell me, hang on a sec, but you don't know if you're assisting transgressors because there's a less than 50%, right? We're not, well, there's certainly a less than 50% chance. It's just a mir hamatsui. It's just a, a, you know, a significant minority that have shotness in them. So this should be a suffix derabanan, right? It's only a doubt whether you're violating the rabbinic prohibition, so it should be fine. Uh, he says, no, don't pull that off, right? Because you, what you are doing is assisting them in violating a rabbinic prohibition. What's the rabbinic prohibition? The rabbinic prohibition is where it is violating. A, is wi- a, right is violating is doing something that has a mir hamatsui possibility of violating biblical prohibition, right? So it's it's rabbinically prohibited to wear clothing that has let's say a fifteen percent chance of containing shotness. 
So if you hand them clothing that hasn't been checked and that has a 15% chance of bringing shotness, so you are violating rabbinic prohibition against helping others violate rabbinic prohibitions, and this is not called a xerolexera. It's not considered a two-pronged rabbinic prohibition because it's just one general rabbinic prohibition that you can't assist people in transgressing. So the Mishnah says, don't pull that out. But he says, If we don't hit that threshold of significant minority, we just have a grounded, uh, we just have a grounded suspicion that according to halacha, Medina, you're allowed to follow the majority, right? Meaning there isn't even the rabbinic, um, the rabbinic prohibition against doing things that have a that have a significant minority possibility of violating biblical prohibition, right? So what? So why why should there be an issue at all? Right? If you're right, if you're allowed to follow the majority, so the person buying the food is allowed to follow the majority, so nobody's doing anything wrong. Um, so he, well, the overwhelming majority. So he says, uh, But even in circumstances when there is no prohibition against use it, against wearing the clothing, but there's still an obligation to check. All right, so that's Ramesha says that the, obli- that the obligation of Efshar Levarer applies even in circumstances when there, you would not be violating anything by doing the action. It's not that we say, well, since you didn't have all the evidence, it's forbidden for you to do it. What we say is that you have an obligation to obtain all the evidence. That's an independent obligation. So in those circumstances, he says, you're allowed to check. Now, why should you, you're allowed to sell the garment. Now, why should you be allowed to sell the garment? You too could, but right, you too have, a, there's a doubt whether you're causing somebody else to violate something. So even though that, right, because the, the suit has only a 1% chance of containing shotness, so um, right, so you only have a 1% chance of violating the rabbinic prohibition, but um, but you should have an obligation to clarify. So there's, you know, it'd be a clever way out to say that no, right, since the other person, no matter what, is not going to violate rabbinic prohibition, therefore you have no obligation to investigate because there's no chance you're violating rabbinic prohibition uh, at all because they're right because they're doing something that um, violates no prohibition at all. The Moshe doesn't take that. Uh, approach at all. I think it's because he says we don't, right, what we're really looking at is a 1% chance of the person violating a biblical prohibition, and if they, and if in fact they violate a biblical prohibition, so then you have violated the biblical prohibition of causing, of assisting someone else, the, the rabbinic prohibition of assisting someone else to sin. I think that's how he looked at it, although it's conceptually um, confusing. Uh, Ramosha takes a different approach. He says, under those circumstances, even though you should have an obligation to to, um, to investigate thoroughly until you're sure there's no shotness in it, and therefore there's no risk of your violating the rabbinic prohibition, um, but he says you'll lose sales. And the financial cost of losing sales, because people won't buy from you, uh, right, they'll go to the other merchants and buy, right, and buy the suits from them, um, that cost is enough to remove your obligation of checking. And therefore, right, and therefore, Rashailin Korla Elu, uh, Elu Shalayivdaku, Mitad Hefsid Mamo Nechshav Ki Efshar Levure. So we end up with what Moshe is saying is that biblically, um, if there's a, if there's a, uh, you know, a more than 50% chance that this is not a violation, you're allowed to do it. But rabbinically, you have to get it down to whatever below, to the, you know, to the, not even being a significant minority. And it's a rabbinic violation to do something that involves a, a prohibition 
biblical prohibition in a significant minority of cases. Maybe it's a rabbinic violation to do things even in, in um, no, I can't, right? So, so the, has that percentage of biblical violation? But then uh, Rav Asher says beyond that, beyond that, there's also a rabbinic requirement. I, I assume it's rabbinic because it's so easily pushed aside. There's a rabbinic requirement not to make a decision when any ev- when when there's any more evidence, possibly any only probative evidence. We saw in the last year, maybe even evidence that wouldn't um, change your mind. You shouldn't make decisions and act when all the evidence isn't available. That's an entirely independent obligation, but that's an obligation which can be pushed aside um, really very easily by any degree of bother, um, any degree of loss, um, any, and really any cost to the other party. So now the question is, Rav Moshe said, right, so if that's the case, so then why does anybody have to check for Shatnez when the odds are below whatever the grounds, the condition of significant minority is, um, since Shotness checking involves a cost. Uh, it involves a cost to, you know, if you hire, unless you do it yourself, it involves a cost hiring. Hiring a shotness checker, I, it takes a lot more time than looking at a chicken. Um, I think, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's very, very hard to look at specific organs of chickens, but it seems to me that it's, it is a real bother. So that, I think, is the question that's left to investigate. Why, according to Moshe Feinstein, in cases where there is less than a significant minority of shotness, why would there be an obligation to further investigate? Is there an obligation to further investigate, or is it just a uh, midas chasidus?